Well, this is called Conversations with Pastors. So uh, y'all, uh, man, I'm kind of excited about this. Y'all have uh, submitted quite a few questions. There's 12 questions and a beginning comment that I had in my notes prior to all of that. So uh, let me tell you what I've done. First of all, the notes are online. You can go to victorychurchraleigh.com. So tonight, because of the nature of the number of questions, and if you have a question and we have time, you might be able to ask it. So if you got a question burning in your heart, Maybe at the end, we'll see how it goes. But anyway, I've got the answers in the notes, so you can go to my notes, because there's so much here. I could probably pe- preach a sermon on all 12, and we'd be here for 12 hours. <laughs> we won't do that. Notes are online, and uh, you can always contact me. I don't say this enough, and maybe, uh, maybe Sean, we all can start putting this up on the mor- every Sunday morning. If you have questions, uh, et cetera, for me as pastor, you can actually email me at pastor at victorychurchraleigh.com, and I'll respond to you. So uh, anyway, just keep that in mind. I want to start off tonight talking about Christmas trees, decorations, and that kind of stuff. Can I do that? So why do you need to talk about that? So here's some questions that people have. Should we have a tree in our home during Christmas season? The next question that I've heard is, is practicing pagan rituals, is it practicing pagan rituals to decorate for Christmas? Because some people see Christmas trees as pagan. Now, you may not have heard that, but I have. Uh, What about Easter? What about Easter eggs? What about Easter bunnies? What about giving your kids an Easter basket, right? Uh, So what about all that? So um, uh, Halloween's kind of a place of its own. That was all Hallow's Eve for uh, uh, back many, many, many years ago until the Druids kind of took it over and then people migrated to the States from Ireland and England, that kind of area, and brought that here. That's a little bit different. Uh, so we do something different uh, with that, and I'll talk, maybe talk about that in a second. So let me say right up front that I have always had a Christmas tree in my house. Uh, we decorate for Christmas. My family exchanges uh, presents. We have, I have four children. All of them are married. Uh, we have nine grandchildren. And uh, uh, Susan, uh, Susan's gotten an extra job. I'm kidding. Uh, we give, we give gifts to all of them. Uh, we have never told our kids that Santa was real. Uh, we're just really honest about that. I'm saying I'm, I'm just me, and we give gifts. So uh, we, but, you know, as our ch- children were young, we wanted as much as possible for our children to enjoy life and not feel deprived because their daddy's a pastor or because they're Christians. How many hear what I said? And there's a, I know there's a line there, and I get it, but you better be careful with that stuff. So, um, again, Halloween's a different thing. Uh, we never had our kids dress up like the devil or ghosts and go- spooks and goblins because, I, I, you know, I rebuke devils every time I find them. Uh, so, I don't, <laughs> so we just don't do that. But we have had, you know, uh, festivals and that kind of thing. And, and again, the reason we did that is because we like fellowship and I didn't want my children to feel deprived because the culture's doing something that get, they can't enter into. And you listen, you can do this in such a way that you so... You so isolate yourself and your family that your children are, are, are figuring out real quick, this ain't no fun. How many hear what I said? So you better, you just, we just need to be careful with these things. So um, just some things to think about. Uh, we have had people in the past that have actually, listen, stayed away from church the whole, actually from the time we put a Christmas tree up in the foyer, until the time we took it down at the end of December. I'm not making this up, all right? So, and, and you know, you may be in the camp tonight. My, I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm just, just sharing my heart. Is that okay? So whatever the side of the fence you are, let me just give some balance to it. Uh, the first century believers had to deal with cultural things uh, that were very common in their culture. And they had to figure out how to do it with grace, wisdom, and tact, and, and not belittle each other. How many hear that? Uh, uh, Romans 14 has something really good to say. Just listen to New Living Translation, beginning with verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, that's good, would you say? Uh, For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. Maybe I should read that again. Uh, Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God's accepted them. 
Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. With the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each fully be fully convinced uh, that what, whichever day you choose is acceptable. So... What I really thank God about is that Christmas, the whole world, at least uh, in the years of my life, have recognized in some way, big or small, the, um, the, the birth of Jesus Christ. I know he wasn't born in December. I know that de- December has some pagan stuff behind I understand that. But at least the world knowledge acknowledges that Jesus Christ existed. I think that's a big deal and a cool thing. That's what I think. So... Uh, if you do this too rigidly, you're going to have to change the names of the months of the year because they're named after gods. Is that true? Go search. So you just got to be careful. So, so here's what I try. I try to blend with the culture where I can without compromising who I am and, and at the same time being a good witness to my kids so I can win people to Jesus. How many know that ought to be our goal, right? Uh, So let me say it this way. Instead of isolating my children and me, I insulate my children with the word. I insulate me with the word. So so when I'm out and about with people, who they are that I don't want to be, it can't get inside because Jesus is in me and the word's inside, right? So, So instead of isolate, how about insulate? I really like this scripture, 1 Corinthians 9. This is message paraphrase. I love this. Listen to this. How many know everything we do, we should do to the glory of God and uh, to be a witness to others? You can do this in such a way, listen, that you become a Pharisee. And the Pharisaical spirit is alive in the world today. And some people are so on fire for Jesus, they isolate themselves from everything. And if you're not careful with that, you'll lose your witness. And people won't have anything to do with you. Did you know the average church in America is less than 100? You can read between the lines as to why. You got to be careful. So my concern is today, don't let the spirit of the Pharisee grab your mind and make you think you're better than others. See, that's the bigger issue, isn't it? You got to be careful with it. So just something to think about. But listen to 1 Corinthians 9. This is 19 through 23. Message paraphrase. I love this. Even though, Paul said this, even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. That's good. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose-living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world. Everybody say, I entered their world. Oh, and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't want to just talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. (laughs) Isn't that good? So, you know, my kids are all in their 30s now. Um, All of them are married. We have nine grandchildren. You hear me say that all the time. Uh, But you know what? All four of them love Jesus, and so do their spouses. Now, they're not perfect, and neither am I. They They were raised in an imperfect home because I'm in there. (laughs) Just what it is. But you know what? I wanted to give them a heart for God. But what you got to really be careful about is that you don't have the attitude of a Pharisee. Because if you become exclusive to everything, you may not be included in anything. Just a thought. So, so don't forget Zacchaeus was welcomed into Jesus' house. And he stole, he, he increased the tax bill of all of the people that he served by 40% and patted his pocket, lived in the biggest house, drove the biggest car, so to speak, probably the biggest camel or donkey, whatever, you know. Uh, but everybody was upset. But Jesus went in his house. He knew he was a thief. Why? Because he loved him. Did, did Jesus compromise? No. So you just got to figure this out. Enough said. If you've got questions, come and see me. Here's some questions. I got 12. Let's do this quick. Y'all ready? So here's the first one. I have a friend who I, I have shared my faith with. And at times I think he was, uh, 
He wanted to accept Jesus as his Savior, but he never followed through. Watch, because his deceased father was an atheist. Listen to this. He told me that if he believes what the Word teaches about salvation, he'll have to believe that his deceased father is in hell, and he can't accept that as true. What comfort can we give to people who have loved ones who have passed away without knowing Jesus? And how can we lead them to Christ? Well, all of us have to come individually to Jesus. I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for you. Your parents are responsible for themselves. And so are your friends and acquaintances and people that you know. And I can't make other people's decisions for them. And so we minister the gospel and we minister life to others because we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and it's appointed unto man once to die and after that judgment. And that's a serious, serious thing. Good news about Jesus is he took our judgment. He took the judgment for our sin in front of a holy God so that we could be free and so we could enter into heaven. Is that good news? Having said that, so what about, uh, so what about people who um, you know that, have gone, that you're not sure they were believers? So the quandary this guy has, well, if I accept the Bible, then I have to accept that maybe my, my parent or maybe it could be another family member as well is not in heaven. You know, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a harsh reality, and, and that's a hard thing to, to deal with. Uh, let me just tell you, I, I, have, uh, I have people I have been very close to in my life. My first friend in the world uh, died at age 39, self-inflicted gunshot wound. And, um, you know, uh, just because you commit suicide doesn't necessarily mean you go straight to hell. Because you may have a mixed up mind, a sick mind, like you got a sick belly. So don't, you know, be careful with that. Uh, having said that, I, there's some people that I have, uh, I've done 80-something funerals in my time being a pastor. You know? you know, and then I have friends, and there's some, I think, I'm not so sure went. I had a friend, I won't go too far, i got to keep on my notes, but I had a friend who uh, was a good friend of mine from first grade. And uh, he was instantly killed working at a gas station. He would come to where I w- worked after I came to Jesus. I've told this story before. And, uh, and I'd say, you know, Glenn, his name was Glenn. He had a twin, Glenn and Gwen. And uh, he said, uh, I said, Glenn, you need to make, after a conversation, you, you need to come to Jesus like I did. You know what I was. And look what he did to me. He'll do that for you. And Glenn said this to me. I have no intentions of going to hell, Mitch. And he meant that. But see, what he didn't plan on was somebody robbing the station he worked at and shooting him and killing him instantly. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't factor that into the equation. So if you wait, it might be too late. So, and that's bothered me in all my life. That happened in 1980. And ever since 1980, I've had to deal with, God, what about Glenn? And I, you know, could, could, it be that, could it be that I don't know it, but... Somehow he secretly made Jesus Lord. I, I don't know. The thief on the cross, you know. But that was kind of like, <laughs> you ain't got much time left, buddy. And he called out to Jesus, and he's in heaven right now. So eh. so that's really hard. Yes, it's hurtful to think that someone you know and love may die and be in hell. And you have to ask God for grace and mercy, right? I don't know any other way to deal with that. I don't think it's right to deny hell or heaven or deny the after. The Bible's very clear. So... Now, these are things that are, are serious things, and we all have to deal with them, right? So, you know, there's a lot more to say about that. Um, if you go to Luke 16, uh, the parable of the rich man and, and Lazarus, um, and, uh, you know, the, the guy, the, the, the rich man that found himself in hell, he, he wanted to come back and tell his family not to, not to find this place he's at. You know, so go read the story, Luke 16. Second question, the Sabbath, the seventh day, we know a Saturday was established at creation, which clearly predates the law. Okay. Why do we no longer practice this Shabbat, the, as the Jewish Jews call it, as God commanded we should do forever in Exodus 31? Well, well, there's more there than meets the eye. You'll find out in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus became our Sabbath rest. We just mentioned the... Uh, and, and so there is a principle of rest in Scripture, but then also understand this. After the resurrection of Christ, um, uh, the Christian church honored Jesus' resurrection 
by instead of honoring the Saturday, Friday night to Saturday night as Sabbath, uh, the first day of the week, because Jesus was raised from the dead the first day of the week. And so if you go back to the scriptures, and I've got them in the notes, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, uh, on the first day of each week, Paul said, you should put aside a portion of money you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it at once. So he's talking about the Christians, you know, having their Sabbath on Sunday instead of Saturday. Dake's annotated reference Bible is as a good note. Upon, and he mentions what I just said. He said collections were to be taken up the first day of the week, the day the early Christians observed as their day of rest. And then he gives the scriptures that actually confirm that. That from John chapter 20 verses 1, 19 and 26, and that Acts 20 verse 7. So that's clear historically. And that's the reason we worship on Sunday as believers. Now, you know, some people, let me just say this, and I can't go far with this, and you may have another question if we have time to the end, but, you know, a lot of people are wanting to revisit all of the, all of the Jewish feasts. All of those feasts are types and shadows of Jesus, yes or no. Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So you could go all through the Jewish feasts and so see Christ in them. So there are those that are quite particular about celebrating all of the Jewish feasts. If you want to celebrate them, I, I think that's fine. But don't push that on everybody. And, and say you can't be right with God until you do that. And you're not spiritual unless you do it. If you do that, you, Mr. Mr. and Ms. Wonderful Believer, have just become a Pharisee. Don't do that. How many hear me? Uh, so I have a lot. Wait a week to talk about that more. So what does 2 Corinthians number 3, what does 2 Corinthians 10, 6 mean? Well, let's just read the whole context. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 uh, the application of this is wonderful about the mind and how the enemy attacks and such. But uh, the, the um, uh, specific um, uh, meaning here is, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. We're human beings. We have different weapons. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And verse 6, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So what is that? What are we supposed to be punishing? What he's referring to is the false doctrine that was already creeping up in the first century and trying to throw believers off. It was, it was Jesus and. It was Jesus plus you got to do the feast, friends. It's Jesus plus you got to be circumcised. It's, it's Jesus plus you got to obey the law. And that's what the things they were dealing with the first century. And there were lots of false doctrines, uh, doctrine that were creeping in and hindering truth. Truth Again, uh, Dake's annotated reference Bible says this, and he mentions this. Dake is a, a, a really plain spoken, so sometimes I'll quote him. Uh, he says this, we stand at all times ready, so to speak, to court-martial any opposing the gospel of Christ after separating ourselves from them. The whole picture here, and that's, that's the verse he quoted. The whole picture here is that a, that of a strong fortified city where the enemy makes his last stand, entrenching himself above the walls, raising towers, preparing engines of defense and offense upon the walls to ensure victory. The fortifications, walls, towers, castles are taken down by the gospel. And see, those are, those are false doctrines he's talking about. And the whole opposition is destroyed and taken captive. So when it says there, being ready to punish all disobedience, he's not saying you'll have a spit bath with people that disagree with you. What he's saying is be ready to defend the gospel and refute the thoughts that come in that try to water down the word of God in your life. How many get it? Number four, uh, from the human perspective, it seems that certain prayers take a lifetime to be answered. How do I know what I pray on is in God's plan for my life and when to stop praying uh, on what isn't? So that, that's, a, that's a good question. So, so how many know sometimes it does seem like prayer answers are delayed? Is that true? And that's, so so the, the subject of prayer is quite vast. I have a whole series on prayer I did several years ago. I'll probably do it again uh, in the next while, I hope. Uh, but on our website, if you'll go look up prayer, I have a prayer series. There's a lot to say in hours and hours of teaching there. But um, 
Uh, just a lot to say. There's different kinds of praying. Uh, the first Bible school I went to in 1977, uh, one of the uh, teachers, instructors teaching on prayer, I thought just have, gave a real simplified um, definition of prayer. Prayer is praying to the Father in the name of Jesus, according to the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, without ceasing. Oh, that's good. He just, he just threw a whole lot in there, right? So, so praying. What about praying? Uh, yeah, some prayers that takes time to be answered. Two kinds of prayer. Prayers that uh, for yourself. Prayers when you're in a pickle, when you're having a hard time. That's one kind of praying, and that's generally the prayer of faith. We want to pray for that. How do I know what to pray? I know to, what to pray by knowing what the Bible says about my life. So, uh, let me make this comment to broaden this and, and maybe simplify. All of the Bible is written to me, yes or no? But the epistles, the letters written to the church were written for me. Hmm? So all of the Bible can be applied to my life, but the, the epistles, that means from Romans all the way through Jude, those epistles, all of those epistles are written to church people, believers who were born again, okay? That means that's, that's in the arena that we live in. So there are things talked about there, uh, very plainly, very specifically, that you really won't find anywhere else. So I personally, uh, they used to tell us years ago when we, everybody had a hard Bible, say, just look at your Bible and look at where the, where the pages are worn the most, and that's what you read the most. And it ought to be that you read the epistles more than anything. So for me, I try to read through the epistles every single month along with a gospel, the book of Acts, and the book of Revelation. And then I read through the Old Testament once a year in Psalm of, Psalms and Proverbs several, you know, a couple of, several times a year uh, because I do all three a day, uh, uh, Old Testament reference, New Testament, Psalm of Proverbs. So anyway, but get, a, get a hold of the epistles. Those are the letters written to the churches, and that's how you can know the will of God. How do I know the will of God? What does God say about any specific subject that I'm concerned about and need to pray about? That's how I know how to pray about that. So I know it's God's will for me to be saved, my family to be saved, you to be saved, yes or no? I know it's God's will for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, yes or no? I know it's God's will because I know the word for people to be healed of sickness and disease, yes or no? I don't have to pray, Lord, if it be your will like we did in the church I was raised in because I know the will of God because I know the word, right? Uh, I, I, is it the will of God for my financial need to be met? Yes. Is it the will of God for me to temper myself and not spend all my money on something that I don't need? Of course it is. So, you know, as you're praying, you look for the word, find out what God's word says about it. And that's how you can know how to pray. And then the part of this uh, question is, how do I know what I pray on is in God's plan for my life? First of all, again, go to the word. Colossians 1, 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard it, Paul said, do not cease to pray for you and ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How can I be filled with the knowledge of God's will? By being filled with this book right here, right? The more word I get in me, the more of God's will I get into my thinking, right? Because before I come to Jesus, I'm doing my will. I might be doing your will. No, I might be doing the devil's will. But God wants me to do his will. How do I do his will? By knowing what his word says, right? So when I'm praying, I find out what God's word says and pray the word. So, you know, when you're a young believer, listen, God gives a boatload of grace to us. Is that right? And you just pray to the Father in the name of Jesus and just let her rip and tell him what you need, right? But there's prayer for ourselves. There's prayer for others. You know, there's the prayer of intercession where you literally feel what someone else feels. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, etc. So, And there's the prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of consecration, the dedication. There's sometimes when you pray, you're not asking for anything for you or anybody else. You're just saying, God, we need to talk. I've got some stuff I'm dealing with, and it ain't pretty. And you just start pouring your heart out, right? And you say, God, I'm struggling with this thing, and I'm struggling with this. And, and, and God, i got to lay this person before you. See, those are prayers of consecration where you say, God, I'm struggling, and I ask you to help me. How many of you know that's a viable place for prayer, right? And so then there's the prayer of worship. I mean, you know, when we worship, that's a form of prayer. Prayer is conversation with God, right? So, so there's a lot to say with this subject. Let me say this to, in conclusion to this. Is that um, I've got, again, my, you go to the website. There's just a whole bunch of stuff on prayer there, just a gobs. And the notes are there. Everything we have on our website, if you look, we not only have the audio, the video, but we also have the notes. 
hard copy notes. You can take those notes, go preach them. It's good. Uh, better than that, apply them to your life, right? So number five, in 2 Peter 3, 9, God doesn't want anyone to perish. Here's the question. Why doesn't God reveal himself like he did for Paul, but different in each person's life? So I'm assuming the person's talking about Paul. He was on the Damascus Road. He had a blinding light experience with Jesus, fell to the ground, was blinded by the bright visage of Jesus. And Jesus said, who are you persecuting? Uh, um, and Jesus, and Paul said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. So uh, he had a supernatural experience. So this person is asking, why doesn't everybody have a supernatural experience like that? Well, do, do you have the same kind of supernatural call that Paul had? You know, God appeared to Abram in Ur of the Chaldees because he became the father of faith. Uh, God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. God appeared to Gideon. He's hiding behind the wine press from the enemy. He said, come here, boy. You're going to be strong. <laughs> You're going to whip the enemy, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, he appeared to Daniel, right? And you could go on and on. So, so if you have that kind of thing, you got something special going on in your life. So the truth is, God has revealed to himself to each one of us in his word. And for all of us, we should expect God to speak to us, not in some supernatural way. He has spoken in a supernatural way. He gave us 66 books we call the Bible. He wants us to live by them, right? So my encouragement is, number one, don't seek after supernatural experiences. And then if you don't have a supernatural experience, don't think that God doesn't love you. It could be that you're all right and you're doing what you need to do. Because here's my experience. When God's ever spoken to me in kind of an unusual way, <laughs> he's going to kick my honey for a little bit. Because I wasn't doing what I'm supposed to do. You hear what I'm saying? If you're off track, he'll get you on track. So if he's not talking in a supernatural way, you should just be happy. You're just living the word. You're doing all right. Right? Right? So just be aware of that. So, you know, God chooses whom he will to to, um, again, to uh, appear in supernatural ways. So I just scan read this thing that in the Middle East, a lot of the um, uh, Muslims are having dreams of Jesus and being born again. Mm. I think that's kind of cool. Like, come on, God, show yourself off. Go ahead. I like that. So, you know, God does what he wants to do, right? So, you know, uh, 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 an angel appeared to Zechariah, right? Uh, uh, John the Baptist's father appeared to Mary, right? Appeared to Peter into prison, Acts chapter 10. Peter had a vision, right? And saw a sheet let down from heaven with unclean animals. You know, that's why you ought to have some pork for Thanksgiving too. I'm joking. <laughs> so, if it doesn't appear to you, you ought to just be happy. Number six, in 2 Corinthians six seventeen, God says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch not, touch not the unclean thing. So where does a person belong if they don't feel fully accepted in uh, the church too. So let me just sneak over here because this is a good time to read that scripture. Everybody okay? Y'all just listening, I think, right? Um, I haven't given you a lot of opportunity to respond because I, I'm trying to, I'm looking at the clock and doing this, but let me read this real quickly here if I can get this thing to obey me. There it is. 14, here we go. Uh, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Lawlessness, communion has light with darkness. He's contrasting the believer. He's calling the believer righteousness, light, uh, Christ. He calls the believer um, a believer, a temple of God. Uh, he calls the unbeliever an unbeliever. A, a lawless person, darkness, Belial is one of the pagan gods. He calls him, an, again, an unbeliever. He calls him an idol. And then he says, you're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I'll dwell in them. I'll walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then, and then this was written in chapter and verse. Then the next thought is, therefore, because of what I just said, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So I wanted to read that because the Holy Spirit's doing that today. And if he's doing to you what he's doing to me, says so clean up your act. Right? Clean up. Because as you clean up, the Holy Spirit will use you. And God wants to use every person in this room that knows Jesus to minister him to other people. And, and God can't touch something that's unclean. 
So if you got some of the world stuff still messing with you, ask, ask the Lord to help you overcome it because he wants to, because he wants to be a father, right? So the question that my uh, friend had here again, uh, let me get back to it. My notes have skipped all the way back up. Here we are. So uh, he says, so where does a person belong if they don't feel accepted in the church? So he said, we got to shun the world, but I feel like the church is shunning me. So uh, again, some people feel a uh, struggle with the feelings of rejection personally, probably because of the way they're raised and inferiority when they're around other people. That can kind of be enmeshed into, into how you think and how you respond to others. I can tell, you know, or you know, so, so two things are generally true. You may have been raised in a household where you were taught to be strong, self-sufficient, believe the best of yourself and others, but you may be in a household that didn't put that in you. And, and, and as a result, you struggle or it's a broken home where mama wasn't there, daddy wasn't there, or they were fussing and fighting and you just got problems and, and what you needed to be put in you wouldn't put in you. Now, I can tell you, I, I thought I had a good mom and dad, but I was raised with a sense of inferiority and rejection in, within myself. I didn't even realize it because my colored glasses of that were on my, in my single digit years and my teenage years. And when I came to Jesus, I, I noticed that when I entered a room, I felt like nobody liked me. And I'm thinking, What's, wh wh why do I, doesn't everybody think that way? And I found out, no, some people just, just, you know, real bold and strong. And but so I put up a facade of being bold and strong. And so, but that's what the bully on the playground does. He's hurting inside, but he's acting like a tough guy. And I acted like a tough guy, but I was falling apart inside because I felt rejected and ashamed. And see, the Lord had to take me through a process of, of taking that out of me. Part of that was going against the grain of what I thought and felt and, and, and making myself have conversations with people, making myself get in a room with people that I felt like and thought didn't like me only to find out what I was thinking and feeling was not true. How many heard what I just said? So, so here's this person. They don't feel accepted. You've got to be willing to push against the grain of that. God gave me this as I conclude on this, this scripture here, on this um, question. Um, God gave me the scripture, 1 Corinthians 4, 3, J.B. Phillips translation. And this hit me square between the eyes and dealt with that sense of rejection and, and the fact that people didn't like me or I thought they didn't. It matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. I don't even value my opinion of myself. Isn't that good? So what God wants all of us to do is replace our opinions about us and our opinions of what others think about us with what he says about us. And when you become firm that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, that old things are passed away, all things are become new, that you've become the righteousness of God in him, that you're the apple of his life, that, uh, of his eye, that you're dearly beloved by the Father, that, that God will withhold, withhold no good thing from you because you're his child. Isn't that good news? When you get rooted in that, all that rejection and all that inferiority uh, will we'll kind of, you know, it'll begin to fade away, but you got to fight it. So my encouragement to the person that wrote this is fight it, stand against it, and, and go against the grain, and be counterintuitive. Intuitive says don't be around people. Be counterintuitive because it's probably not telling you the truth. Your thoughts and feelings are, are trying to hijack your relationships with people. We got some great people at Victory Church. How many believe that? And they'll just love you to pieces if you let them. Is that good? Uh, number seven, how can Christians, everybody okay? You want me to stop and keep going? Oh, thank you. Uh, how can Christians reconcile that the scriptures were uh, Holy Spirit inspired and not written by man, as in written from men's hearts, but by the Holy Spirit? So again, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. The Greek word for inspiration is theonoustos. God breathed much as, just as much the word of God if, as if you could hear, feel his breath on your face while he's talking. And so we call the scriptures inspired. We call them the infallible rule of faith and practice. The 66 books we call the Bible. We call them inspired. Now, you know, a, a speaker can say I've inspired or a per person can say, I felt the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when I wrote this book. That's not the same as the inspiration that came on the Bible, right? 
about 1,600 years, about 40 different authors, all a wide range of culture, brought the Bible into existence as the Holy Spirit had uh, men of old um, speak as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, Second Peter uh, one twenty one says. So now in the notes for the person that wrote this and for you uh, from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, that Bible has some excellent notes. And so here's an article they wrote on the inspiration of Scripture and give you 12 lines of ev- evidence to show that the Bible is inspired. And they're ex- I don't have time to read it. It's really long. But it's in the notes. Go back and read that and uh, it will help you know that the Bible is the Word of God. There are so many manuscripts, particularly after the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1949, that verify the authenticity of the books of the Bible. And in antiquity, if you can find, oh, two or three or four or so uh, manuscripts of an old book that was handwritten, you can say it's an authentic book. You've got over 5,000 of the Bible. I think God's wanting to say something to us, don't you? Anyway, that's all in those notes. Number eight, how is it that Christ was raised from the dead? And what purpose does the resurrection serve? Now, this person's asking on behalf of someone that asked, they're wanting to minister to that have asked them this question. So to answer this quickly, let me read this. 1 Corinthians 15, um, all my life, I, I, every once in a while, I'll just go back to 1 Corinthians. So I read Romans 8 a lot. I'll read 1 Corinthians 15, all these 47 years of knowing Jesus. I read, I love Psalm 34. And Psalm 37, I found out that Gordon Lindsay, every day, who was the founder of Christ for the Nation's Bible Institute, Dallas, Texas, he read Psalm 34 and Psalm 37 every day. And then just me, I don't know where I got this. I read Psalm 8, I mean Romans 8 a lot. And 1 Corinthians 15, I love it. But listen to 1 Corinthians uh, 15, starting with verse 12, talk about the resurrection. Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do, say, how do some say among you there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ isn't risen, our preaching is empty. Your faith is empty. Yes, we also found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he didn't raise up if, the, if in fact the dead don't raise up. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most, most pitiable. But now it's Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I mean, he's the first one and other people are going to be raised from the dead. And that includes you. Is that good news? Ah, that's pretty good. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ will all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign. Until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. So there's a lot to say there. So this notes, hang on, it it keeps going back to the beginning. And I have to go back to this question. So here we are. Here's what I wrote in the notes. Oh, here we are, right here. Uh, No, I didn't need to write anything there. Here it is. For the the resurrection of Christ dealt with the issue of sin, all rebellion to God's ultimate will, the curse on the earth, and guarantees all of humanity that we can experience a new birth in relationship with God once again, that we can overcome death and live in eternity with God in a glorified human body, and that Satan and all of the enemies of God will be judged and rewarded for their rebellion to God with eternal punishment in the lake of fire, that the earth will once again be free from the curse and, and will along with heaven and the new Jerusalem be the eternal home of believers. Ah, That's what the resurrection does. So it's all in the notes. Number nine, what happens after death? This is interesting. Uh, To people around the world, I've heard this so many times, uh, that have not had the opportunity to learn about God the Father, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What happens? Well, a person that dies without Christ cannot go to heaven. That's the reason we have missionaries. That's why we support 27 missionaries and missions agencies. If people could go to heaven without the gospel, then why are we preaching it? If everybody's going to heaven because God is love, then why are we preaching the good news of the gospel? If you can go without Jesus, then how come preach the gospel? Will there be heathens in other lands? 
that have not heard the gospel and perish in hell? It could be. The answer is yes. Having said that, having said that, here's an interesting quote from, and I've got a lot more in the notes that I don't have time to read. Um, Dake in his Dake's uh, annotated reference Bible, in cases where men have not heard, had the law or the gospel, God will judge them on the basis of the light they have according and according to the, their living up to conscience. So I have heard many testimonies of missionaries. I've never had this experience personally. I've been to Africa a number of times and uh, in some very isolated places where people don't have information. Uh, but I have had other missionary friends who have said they've gone to places and, and preached the gospel to an unreached tribe or entity. And they have said, we wondered what this was. Some being came to us and said, somebody's coming from another land with different skin. And they're going to tell you something that you need to listen to. Now, that's pretty cool. I don't know what you think about that. So, again, that's the reason we need to go and minister life and preach the gospel to every creature because without Christ, we're doomed to uh, eternity in the lake of fire. And that's a really strong thing. A uh, follow-up to that question, what about those in antiquity before uh, Jesus came uh, and was born? Um, what about those in antiquity before the Lord Jesus Christ was born and established the new covenant with God and mankind? So here's the skinny, and I, I'm not even, I can go there and take a long time, but I'm not. So uh, just, I've got the scriptures online. Uh, if you go to Luke 16, Matthew 27, 1 Peter 6, here's, here's what you can surmise. Nobody could go to heaven prior to Jesus dying for our, as a sacrifice for our sins. Old Testament people, when they died, just like the thief on the cross went to a place, uh, a, a segment of hell, Hades, called, called um, paradise to the thief on the cross or Abraham's bosom in Luke 16. There was a division, a chasm between the righteous side of hell, as it were, and the unrighteous side. People that didn't have a blood covenant with God that he established with his old covenant people. When they died, they went to that unrighteous side. That's where the flame is. That's where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And then people that had the blood covenant and trusted that Jesus, that a Messiah was coming, the lamb of sacrifice um, that they had been offering was a, a, was a once a year, you know, remembrance that one day a Messiah is coming. So uh, they, when they died, they went to the righteous side of hell. And they had to stay there until Jesus came. And this is really clear. Go read the scriptures online. Uh, Matthew 27 is really clear. When Jesus died, when he was raised from the dead, there was a big earthquake. Jesus come out that tomb, and guess what else happened? All of the Old Testament uh, believers also came out of their graves. That's the first resurrection. And they appeared to many in Jerusalem. What happened to them? Well, I reckon when Jesus went up, I reckon they went up too. The Bible really doesn't tell us. But that righteous side of hell is no longer there. There's only the unrighteous side. Now when you go to, when you die, absent from the body's present with the Lord. Is that good news? Ah, there's a lot more there, and I could talk a lot about that, but I don't have time. Uh, number 11, what are your thoughts about on the new earth versus the old earth issue? This person says, I've been reading and watching the series, Is Genesis History, uh, in the, on TV, and it has confirmed many of my apprehensions concerning both Darwinian, the Darwinian evolution and the earth view. So, 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 simply put, um, this is a theory uh, it is not doctrine. I've studied this out a lot. And Janice Finnings Dake has a book called God's Plan for Man, copyright 1949. It's available online in digital form on Amazon. And he also has a Bible that he put together. He put notes, annotated every verse of the Bible with historical facts and heat words and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he has a lot written about what I'm about to call the gap theory, and that is that between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there, there is an undetermined period of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. So there, were, there was a, a cataclysmic event between the creation of the earth originally and what you read in Genesis 1 verse 2. And uh, they postulate that when, when 
Satan fell from heaven. There was a race of beings here, human-like, uh, human-like, and then there was a social construct here, maybe not unlike what we have today, but different, and then there was a different animal construct here, and that's where you get the dinosaurs. And I used to want to be an archaeologist, I could say a lot, but uh, when you look at the strata of the earth, all that's there. So that um, theory answers the questions for me. Where'd all that come from? Where'd all that come? So that's what he's talking about there. And it is postulated there's a number of scriptures that seem to indicate that, that there could have been another creation prior to Adam. They, for lack of a better term, they call it the pre-Adamite world or race. It was destroyed by a flood, uh, much like uh, the world was uh, destroyed in Noah's day with, with the exception of Noah and his family. So anyway, I'm going to say enough, that's enough said about that. You can go look at my notes. I have a lot to say. Uh, come and talk to me about it. i got a lot to say. The last question I'm done. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one. The question is, so why don't we say praise the Holy Spirit like we do Jesus and the Father? Now, you know what? That's a really good question. Whoever asked that, that's a good question. How many know the Holy Spirit's major role is to make Jesus real to you? The Holy Spirit actually, in some sense, hides himself. I've got a book written by this guy right here, J. Oswald Sanders. And I may, I think it's this one. I just didn't find that exact quote. But um, he makes the comment, and he has a, a chapter on the humility of God. And, and he mentions that God the Father always defers to Jesus the Son. And that Jesus always defers to the Father. And the Holy Spirit, his main ambition is to make Jesus real to you. So we're never told to worship the Holy Spirit. Is that true? Never told. So, in fact, John 14, 26, as I conclude, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance that I said to you. So his job is to point you to Jesus. John 16, listen to this, 13 to 15. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll tell you things to come. And then this is the kicker. He will glorify me for he'll take of what is mine. And declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he'll take of mine and declare it to you. So the whole uh, ambition of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus real. And in his book, Enjoying Intimacy with God by J. Oswald Sanders, who's a wonderful man of God, uh, lived 1900 to 1992. By all of his books, they're one. I, I agree with a lot he says. I never agree with everything. Somebody said, this is a great book. Listen to this. There is no rivalry, he says, within the unity of the Godhead. Scripture represents each of the three divine persons as delighting to honor each other. Christ's passion was to manifest uh, the hidden excellence of the Father. I do not seek my glory, he claimed. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing, John 8, 50 uh, and 54. His work on earth reached its zenith when he prayed to his Father. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do, John 17, 4. Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. And now glorify me together with yourself, Father, John 17, 1 and 5. In answering the caviling Jews, he told them, is my, is, it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he's our God. Thus, the Father glorifies the Son. The Spirit glorifies the Son, even as the Son glorifies the Spirit by saying that he would come as his own personal representative. He shall glorify me. And it's what I just read. So it goes on and on. It's a great book. And he has a great quote there. So uh, we're never told to pray. You know, I, we're never told to pray to God specifically. We go to the Father in the name of Jesus. He's our intermediary, right? We're never, we're never told to pray to Jesus. Dear Jesus. People say, dear Jesus. Well, you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Is that right? You never say Holy Spirit. No, you don't pray to the Holy Spirit. He's our advocate. He's our helper. And he points us to the Father. You pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? So we got to keep those things proper. Uh, in our day, as I conclude, the internet has just discombobulated so many things. And there's so many crazy teachings by people who have never even been to Bible school and, and studied theology. How many hear me? So you best be careful on what you read and what you hear, and how you do it. So bottom line, if I'm a God-called pastor, 
you should be examining every single thing I say and make sure it lines up with Scripture. Yes or no? And I promise you this. I don't ever plan on saying anything that doesn't agree with this book right here. So my question to anybody in any local church, why would you listen to something online that your pastor has never said? You're going to fall into a ditch if you're not careful. Because there's a lot of crazy stuff today. So the Holy Spirit's uh, given to us to help us. Aren't you glad? Well, we ran out of time. Lift your hands up. Lord, you're just so good to us. All of these things are important to you. And we're important to you. Because you've made a plan for us to know you and to be with you forever. Because that's the will of God. For us to know you and to glorify you forever. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room that we would live in such a way that how we think, what we say, how we relate to others points them to Jesus. Even when we fail, we point them to Jesus by repenting. And Lord, I pray for any person in the room, any person watching, if they don't know Jesus, and Lord, you would draw them to yourself. Or if there's a person that has known him, they've got a way, draw them. Draw them to you. Cause them to be uncomfortable with the trajectory of life they're presently in. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Friend, if you're here or you're online and you need Jesus, you can meet him tonight. But you've got to repent. That means you've got to change your mind about how you live in life. Really, a 180-degree turn. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and I'm ready, to, I'm ready to get after God. I'm ready to get after Jesus. If that's you, would you close your eyes right now and pray with everybody in the room? Pray with me out loud. Heavenly Father, I need you, and I know I do. And I lay my life before you. And I ask you to forgive me for living wrong, for being wrong, for living in sin, which is disobedience to you. I lay my life in front of you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died in my place, took my sin penalty, so I could be free. And I believe he raised from the dead. So Jesus Christ, come into my life. Save me from my sin. From my self-centeredness. And from myself, I present myself to you. Come and live in me. Let the Holy Spirit live in me. Beginning today, may I never be the same. In Jesus' name.